are, uh, man, we, we are post-Thanksgiving, uh, which means we can now be full-throttle Christmas. Come on, no, no, no Christmas crazies in here? So, <laughs> so yeah, we got a few, we got a few. So Christmas is, is coming, with this, uh, so we're beginning a new series, and this series is going to take us uh, right up to our candlelight services. Uh, so candlelight services January, or <laughs> January. Uh, December 23rd and 24th, and then uh, we will have an online-only service on December 27th, so uh, that last Sunday of, of 2020 is going to be online-only, and then we will get to 2021, and is anybody ready to say goodbye to 2020? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So... Uh, man, we we are we're going into this, so I, I get to introduce to you this new series, and I'm I'm, I'm excited. How many of you seen uh, ever seen this sketch before? Anyone ever seen this sketch before? Okay, good, good. We got some we got some people that have never seen this. So real quickly, what do you see? This is a this is a postcard from 1888. It's a German postcard, and immediately there's something that you probably are seeing in in the picture. It's called the name of the painting or the sketch is called. Uh, my wife and my mother-in-law. My wife and my mother-in-law. So some, some of you are seeing my wife. How many have seen the young lady looking away from us? See, the, okay. How many of you have seen the, the old lady looking down? So, okay. Now, oh, now see the, the, the faces here. They're like, oh, wait a minute. There's two people there. So here's, here's what's cool about Optical Illusions is that there's two people here. They're both in there. But um, once you lock into scene one, you, you can't, it's hard to like readjust to see the other one. So let me help you. The, here is the ear of the young lady. It's also the eye of the old lady. Here's the, the mouth of the old lady. It's the necklace of the young lady. Nay, hey, we got the eyes there. See, you keep watching, looking at it, and the lines, here's what's cool about the, an optical illusion like this is that the lines don't change. But what you perceive does. Oh, yeah. So this is where we're going to this series. This morning, I get to introduce to you this series called Glory in the Face of Jesus. And, and let's, let's go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, verse 1, uh, begins like this. It says that uh, one day the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to test Jesus. Now, when you see this, these two people, these two groups together, it's immediately, you got to like step back and go, what? So we've got the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, these two groups do not like each other. They are rival groups in Israel. And I don't have time to get into all that. And you can come uh, Thursday to the context group and we can talk about that in uh, more detail. But these two groups don't get along. To put it in the modern day context, it's kind of like this. If you were to say that uh, the Democrats and the Republicans came together and agreed on something and the way to get there. That's kind of what this is taking place. So in this situation, they've got a commonality, and their commonality is to take Jesus out. They're wanting to like, try to find a way to get Jesus out of the picture because Jesus is kind of raining on their parade a little bit. And it says, they demanded of Jesus to show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove that he was that, that he had authority. Now, 
again, this is, there's so much jam-packed in every verse. I don't have time to dig through every piece of this, but they're act, asking for a miraculous sign. Now, I'm not sure what they were at looking for because Jesus had been performing miracles. They must have thought his miracles were fake news or something because they weren't believing that he was the Messiah. He'd been healing people. He had just got done feeding 5,000. He had cast out demons. All this was taking place before these group of Pharisees and Sadducees show up and say, hey, perform us a miraculous sign from heaven. Now, most, uh, most scholars believe that they're asking for something specific. They're wanting fire to come from heaven, and they're reflecting back on Elijah. So we have this, this because the, anytime you read in the Bible, you got to know that the, anybody that's, that is, be, is reading this is a Bible nerd. Okay, they, they knew the Bible inside and out. As soon as something was quoted from the Old Testament, they immediately identified where it was from. So when he said, when they said they wanted a sign from heaven, that was immediately that they were identifying that, hey, we want to see something like Elijah did, fire from heaven. But they, they were, but in typical Jesus fashion, he doesn't even really acknowledge or entertain their argument too long. He just he simply replies back to them. He says, you know the saying, red sky at night means fair weather tomorrow, and red sky in the morning means foul weather all day. You know how to interpret the weather signs in the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the signs of the times. Right here, there's kind of some modern-day quotes here. We have a quote similar to this. Pink sky in the, at night, sailor's delight. Pink sky in the morning, sailor's warning. It's a, it's a say, saying we have. So they, they had a very similar thing. They understood that if it was red in the, in the sky at night, that tomorrow most likely was going to be a good day for weather-wise. If it was red in the morning, then it was probably going to rain all day. Now, that's true today, so there you go. You have some, that's better forecasting than most of the guys you'll get on, the meteorologists you get on TV. So I, now you can get paid to do that. So, well, he says, uh, you don't, uh, but you don't know how to interpret the signs of the times. How many of you have ever heard somebody say, that's the signs of the times? Well, you're quoting Jesus. But Jesus is quoting something really from the Old Testament. Because what, what Jesus was, was doing was saying, hey, you guys are really smart. You know how to, to read the, the heavens, the sky, for the weather, but you don't see what's right in front of you, the life and ministry of Jesus and what he's doing, what, I'm, what he would have been doing. But, so, he, so he replies to that, and then he goes, um, then he continues on, he concludes the conversation with a drop mic line. He, he says, one, only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. We can talk about that on Thursday. Then Jesus left them and went away. Mic drop, walk off stage. This last line that Jesus gives them is packed full. And I'll have to pick it up in another message. But did you notice that this, this, the sign reference, that the sign was a red sky at night or a red sky in the morning? The sign was the same color in the same place, but read differently. Kind of like the optical illusions we just looked at. Same lines, but seen different things. There's the problem that for the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and what Jesus was trying to relate to them was, hey guys, you guys are going down a path that your ancestors went through down a couple hundred years ago. 
When we, uh, he's quoting, when he says the signs of the times, he's taking a line from Daniel, who talks about the times. And what Daniel, and we, we talked about this a few, few weeks ago when we were studying Jeremiah, who was a contemporary with Daniel. What they were doing was they were looking at the signs that are around them, and they were going, Israel, we're not doing what God's called us to do. You, you've rejected the law, you've rejected the Torah, you've rejected following him, and you're doing your own thing. And Israel had ended up coming up with their own idea of what Israel was supposed to be. Israel had come up with this idea that they were supposed to be this, uh, this very prideful, uh, very nationalistic, very isolated group of people. And God, the prophets were saying, no, we are supposed to be a kingdom of priests. We are supposed to be the light to the nations, and we're not doing that. Instead, you're, in, and you're going to be in a collision course with the nations. And exactly what Daniel was going, saying was, guys, we're on a collision course with Babylon. And what ends up happening, they, the, the prophets don't, get, don't have a convincing argument to change their minds, and they end up in captivity to Babylon. And in Jesus' case, he's looking around and goes, you guys are doing the same thing. They're looking at the circumstances, and Jesus is going, you guys are wanting to change. You, you got this nationalistic idea of who you're supposed to be. You're saying if we just had a king like David who would come in and get rid of these, these Romans, then that everything would be okay. We could do what we are supposed to do. If our circumstances were different, then everything would be good. Instead, Jesus is announcing an upside-down version of what they're expecting to see. Jesus was not there to change their circumstances. He wanted them to see, to see their circumstances in light of who he was. Here's another optical illusion. How many see the old lady with the big nose? You see that right there? Now, I'm going to help you. Instead of having you stand on your heads, I'm just going to flip it for you. What do you see now? See, the, the idea of what God has for us is that this, these are the same lines, identical in lines, just seeing it from a different perspective allows you to see something you were missing before. This, uh, our, our, this season, our family has been hit directly with this pandemic, and uh, I, I can tell you, it, it packs a punch. For those of you that are watching because you have symptoms or you're going through this situation, we can, we're, we're praying for you because we know what it's like to go through this. For those of you, though, too, that are questioning, wondering if you can believe anything, you're uncertain, you're not sure, we can relate to that as well. For our family, going through the, the last few weeks has, been, has revealed a few things to us. The first thing is that we're not promised tomorrow. James says that we're not promised tomorrow, and so we're going to really rejoice in today. We went through situations where at moment, there was a moment there where I was in a panic. I was in panic mode where my wife was not acting like my energetic wife, and I was nervous and rushed her to the hospital. So I'm going to celebrate today because tomorrow is not promised to me. But I, we also learned, the second thing that was just amazingly popped out to us is that we have an amazing church family. We have a church family that rallied around us, called to check in, text to see if we needed anything. 
well, hey, do, you need, do your kids need books from school? Do you, do you need anything from the grocery store? How can, how can we come? We, we would have people uh, drop things off on our, on our, uh, on our porch there, snacks and meals. And I, I just, we can't tell you how grateful we are that we're part of an amazing church family. But it's been during that time period that the, through the last few weeks that God's redirected the path that I was going to be going down in the message series. Part of it was out of necessity because Corey literally had a couple hours to prepare for that first week that we were in quarantine. And did he not prepare well and, and just deliver a powerful message? And uh, man, but the, the other part of it is that, and, and the primary reason is that God's been dealing with me. And when, when I prepare a message or a series, it's, it's, it's something that I'm going through, and I believe that we're on a journey with this together. And here's what I've realized, is that over the last few months, I've taken my eyes off of Jesus. Now, it's, it wasn't a sudden abandonment. It wasn't even a, a, a spur-of-the-moment decision. It was a gradual gradual redirect from, from him to the circumstances that were around me. I, I, uh, when, we, when, we, when this all began to boil over, I was literally on a plane back from Israel and had to make a decision on landing of whether we're going to have services the next week. And I tell you what, I came back from Israel red hot for Jesus, ready, red hot to get into his word. And so I kind of walked into this, that, the 11 weeks of not having services as, hey, we can do this. And we adjusted. We made, we made, uh, we made, made all kinds of things. We tried different ways of doing it. And we, we went through that time. And, and you as a church, you responded with being flexible and made you guys stay generous and willing to serve and but, and then, then through the summer, we gathered, much smaller, but we, we gathered. But the climate of our world was very divisive. It was, it, was a, it was a time where social injustice was being highlighted and it needed to be. We, we were going through the, a period of having our political signs in our yards, de- declaring to everyone what side we were on. Add to that the reactions and the responses that we have to this pandemic. And I found myself not giving anybody the benefit of the doubt. If they weren't approaching these circumstances the way I was approaching them, then obviously they were wrong, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> when, when I finally gave God a moment to speak into my life, his gentle voice spoke to me that you, your focus is on the wrong place. See, when our circumstances are difficult and frustration, we tend to focus on the wrong thing. I don't, I don't believe I'm much different than anyone else here who would say, man, I am praying for God to change our circumstances. But God isn't wanting us to look at the lines and ask him to erase them. He's asking us to see him in the lines. My goal for this series is, is pretty simplistic. It's my aim in this series is that we would see Jesus, that we would see him and see his, him in his word, and we would love him in such a radical way that we wouldn't be able to take our eyes off him. My hope is that each Sunday, 
he will be revealed to us in such a powerful way and that his spirit will be will lead us to love him in a greater love than we've ever loved him before no matter what our circumstances are we can't redraw our circumstances we can't we're not able to erase the lines of our situations that are around us my hope is that that we would be able to look at the lines in such a way that we see Jesus. See, the Pharisees and the Sadducees weren't able to see Jesus, even though he stood right in front of them. Some of you, you're still walking through a journey of even whether, you know, what, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And I'm praying that you will be attracted to the God of the universe and the story that we tell at this season. And the, for those of us that have been in, in a relationship with him, that we would fall in love with him with a, a fresh love that is just so much greater than we've ever experienced before. In the passage we read around Christmas season, the Gospel of Luke, it, it, it declares, uh, what describes that this, when the shepherds heard that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, it says that they, uh, they heard uh, the, the angels sing. And this is what it says in verse 13. It says, Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and the peace on earth, the peace to, on earth to those whom God is pleased. So the birth of Jesus was glory to God. The glory to God is what Paul describes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. He says, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your, are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus. This Christmas season, we're going to look at this baby in the manger in a way that we see the glory of God. See, the glory of God changes everything. The glory of God changes everything. So, so as I close this message, I, I want to I look at the very first verse of the New Testament. Just one verse that says it, it, says it this way. Shows the glory of God in a unique way. Matthew 1, chapter, chap, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, the New Testament begins by pointing to the Old Testament. See, we can't unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament because we say we're under the New Covenant. The Old Covenant and the New Covenant are one book. They're not two separate. But it begins by this, this word, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. As soon as somebody reads genealogy, how many of you immediately go, hmm, okay, don't, don't, nobody, don't raise your hands, but let's just be honest with ourselves. We see the word genealogy and we skip down 17 verses and we go, let's get to the story, right? <laughs> we, we skip over that, but it's important, the genealogy of Christ. See, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is a title. It's a, it's a, it's a description. It's, it literally means the anointed one, the, the promised one, or the Messiah. From the, from the very beginning, 
God had uh, a promised one that would come and it would be the Messiah that would come and would uh, defeat sin and allow us to be delivered from sin. From the very beginning, right after sin enters the world, God comes and speaks to the serpent that tempted Eve. And this is what he says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. I will, he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. It says, so the, 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 serp, the this, this serpent that God is speaking to says, you're, you're going to bite the heel, but when you bite his heel, he's going to crush your head. Matthew begins the, this description of dear sweet baby Jesus, <laughs> not as a porcelain doll, but as a snake crusher. This is how he's discovered. He has come to conquer. Not, I don't, let's just put the back to the word I like there as a crush. He came to crush Satan, sin, and death. And then it says that he was the genealogy of Jesus Christ. So this is the Christ, the promised one. And then it says that he is going to be the son of David. J- Jesus is the offspring of David, the one, the, the, a king that's going to reign forever. Isaiah prophesied about this promised one. He said in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. His rule with, he, he will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor, David, for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord, the Lord of heaven's armies, will make this happen. This is a, 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 such a, a powerful moment because Matthew is saying, for hundreds of years you guys have been looking for this unique king to step onto the throne of David, and that king is here. He has arrived. So he, Matthew, in just a few words, has said, hey, the promised one, the Messiah, the snake crusher, is here. And that the one that's the snake crusher who has uh, you've been waiting for is the king who is going to be on the throne of David. In just these first few words. And then he says, you will be the son of Abraham. Now again, when you study the Bible, there's a couple things that are really important. And the first thing is what? Context. Context. Yeah, yep. No, and second, I haven't got to say this in a couple weeks, so come on. Right. Help me out. Second most important thing is what? Right. And the third most important thing is context. So we, we have to understand the context to, to grab hold of the significance of what is being said here. Abraham is the one who was promised. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in all the families of the earth, uh, and you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham is called to be a blessing to the nations. Another way, later on, God reconfirms this covenant he's making with Abraham. He says, then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I'm changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham. 
For you will be the father of many nations, and I will make you extremely fruitful, and your descendants will become many nations, and the kings will be among them. Jesus is the offspring of Abraham who has come to bless all nations. So in just a one verse, Matthew describes to his readers that, that this is the promised one who is coming. He is the one who has been promised. He's coming and he will be revealed to us as the snake crusher. And then he says he's going to sit on the throne of David. And finally he says, and he will be a blessing to all nations. The book of the book of Genesis. I don't want you to miss this. In one verse, Matthew makes it clear to us that nothing in history is accidental. Nothing in history is accidental. Everything in the Old Testament is pointing to the promised one, a king who would bless the nations. Jesus is the center of history. Jesus is the center of history. If he is the center of history, that means I'm not. If he's the center of history, that means you're not the center of history. It means that 2020 isn't the center of history. If Jesus is the center of history, see, this is throughout history, billions of people have come and billions of people have gone. There have been empires that have risen and their empires have fallen. There have been kings and queens who have been put on a throne and then taken off. There have been presidents that have been put into position and dictators that have been put into positions, and both have gone away. There have been plagues and there have been pandemics. They have come and they have gone. None of them, none of them were the center of history. Only one person was the center of history, and that is Jesus Christ. But it's possible to miss Jesus in our history. It's possible to miss him in all of what we've been going through because we get locked in on the lines that we see. And I'm inviting you today to look at your life and find Jesus. To, in the chaos of your lines, the sketch of your life would reveal his glory. See, the baby... Jesus that Matthew introduces to us grows up to be a man that knows no sin, takes on our sin. He goes to the cross as a payment for our debt. Today, we can receive the gift of salvation that he offers by turning to Jesus, and that, that's what repentance is, is turning from our idea of what is happening and accepting his it's to turn from our own efforts and to accept his. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you right now just so thankful for who you are. Introduced to us as, as a baby, but we know you as the promised one. The one who would be the king that would bless all nations. And today, You've been promised to us, and we make you the king of our lives.
And we ask that you will bless us so that we can be a blessing. I want to fall in love with you. So I turn from doing things my way and I turn to you. In Jesus' name, amen.